we're going to have a prayer and then begin. This one that I'm going to tell you about is really interesting to me. And uh, I'm going to tell you what I did to prepare for it. Uh, do, do, do most of you have the uh, LNG White CD-ROM that you can have on your computer? Uh, if you don't have it, you should get it. I mean, it's really, really amazing. Everything Ellen White ever wrote, and you have the whole King James Version of the Bible and all that stuff on there. But I always do the Bible search first, and I looked at every place there was a, a reward in the Bible, and then every place in the spirit of prophecy. Uh, one thing I learned in law school, and that is, if you expect to win your case that you take to court, you cannot leave a stone unturned. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Uh, in other words, you have to do the research for your side. If you're the plaintiff or you're the defendant, either one, you, you have to do both sides so you'll know. And I, I've always practiced that. I didn't have very many cases in law in court, but I've won every one of them. And the reason is I prepared both sides always. So I would have anticipated anything the other guy would say. You can't be any surprises. So for example, when I wrote the book Sunday's Coming, First, I looked in the Bible for the word Sunday. How many times did I find it? None. How many times first day? The right answer is nine. The first one is Genesis 1 verse 5. The, the evening and the morning were the first day of the week. Okay. So by implication, first day of the week. And then there are eight in the New Testament. But Sunday doesn't occur. So I decided then that I would want to be looking in the spirit of prophecy. So I typed Sunday in the LNG White CD-ROM and hit search, and I found 1,895. If I was going to do a thorough search, how many would I look up? Every last one of them. And I printed them all off. It took, you know, almost four reams of paper to do it. But so what I'm going to tell you is I looked up everything on reward, and what I ended up finding was something amazing, and that's what I'm going to tell you about it. And I'm going to tell you in a nutshell to begin with, and then I'll go through this with you. Every one of us has an account in heaven. Amen. That's the end of it. Amen. Did we have prayer yet? Okay, let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word, and we thank you for the guidance. We thank you for the awesomeness of Jesus, our creator God, being willing to die for us. So that instead of sin and sorrow and sadness and death... We can recognize that you came to give us life and have it more abundantly. So we have that great hope that you're coming soon, and we pray that you help us all to be faithful so that we can hear the words, well done, when you come. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, it is interesting. The words, well done, from Matthew 25, 41, or 21, are only spoken to those who manage their money Christianly. Now, I've said a big statement, haven't I? Check it out. See if it isn't true. Okay. So here we go. We're going to look at, nobody knows what heaven looks like, so Lori found this, and that's the best she could figure out. But this is the holy city, of course. You've seen some beautiful pictures of artists' conceptions. But biblical perspectives on reward. Uh, by the way, when you find it, uh, I think you'll find some amazing things. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. But it's more than eternal life. And that's what I want you to see, the rewards of following God's laws. By the way, you know when we read Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14, that the God says, if you will obey these things, carefully obey, uh, you, you, you understand what I've told you of Moses talking here, all these blessings will come on you and overtake you. This is the kind of thing. These are the rewards of following God's law. Peace, personal happiness, 
reduce stress. By the way, stress is one of the major risk factors for almost all chronic diseases, as you know. This is pretty amazing. Improve quality of life, uh, greater marital stability. When you follow biblical principles, you will live essentially debt-free, and debt is one of the greatest stressors for marital happiness, as you may know. In fact, studies show, as I mentioned to you earlier, that 85% of couples who divorce point to financial difficulties as one of the major factors in the dissolution of their marriage. It's really, really incredible. Professional stress is all, or success and reduced stress, if these are proper money management. Satisfaction from supporting God's work. Blessed hope of the second coming. I mean, these are just awesome things. The Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father and with His angels, and then He will reward each according to his work. Now this is really interesting when you sit to see it. In the December issue of, uh, <coughs> December 14, 1897 issue of the Review and Herald, Ellen White wrote an article titled Christian Liberality. By the way, this is on the CD-ROM, so you can find it very easily. In which she contrasts the rich young ruler and Moses. So I want you to see something interesting. If we understand our Bible history, Moses was the son of Pharaoh's daughter by adoption. Is that true? Yes. He could have been likely a Pharaoh in Egypt, which would have mean that today he would be a mummy. Right? The interesting thing is, by faith, when he was come to years, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Don't ever think sin isn't fun. It is fun or nobody would do it. The problem is it doesn't last and it leads to hell. Do you get the point? So, why did Moses choose to go with God's people? esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now listen to this. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He knew what he was getting was made way better than what he was leaving behind. How did the rich young ruler choose? Well, here's the opposite, as you know. Jesus told the young man, sell what you have and distribute to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. By the way, this is very interesting. Because many Bible scholars believe that Jesus was giving this man a call to become one of his inner circle disciples. He said the same words he said to all of the others, come and follow me. But he didn't do it. The most amazing thing about it is, after hearing these words, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He chose earthly goods rather than eternal life. It's really interesting when you think of that story. He clung to his earthly possessions, lost eternal life. Moses, on the other hand, laid aside earthly riches for a reward in heaven. To me, this is an incredible story in the Bible. You know, when you look at Paul, you find something really interesting also. His eyes on the prize. I don't know. Kathy and I have just finished uh, today, uh, second, well, yesterday, 2 Timothy, and when Paul is staying in the, in, the, in the fourth chapter there, you know, I've run the race, I've finished the course, and so on, I'm now ready to be offered. He knew his head was going to be chopped off, and, you know, he wasn't going to be released, and so on. And yet he was excited about saying, you know, I know that God has a reward for me. To me, this is a really incredible statement. And when you talk about the number of times he was beaten and stoned and all those kind of things, you would wonder who would ever choose a life like that. But the amazing thing is that he was always confident. He saw beyond the shipwrecks and the beatings and the imprisonments, and his writings testify of the hope of his heavenly reward. 
Therefore, he says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Each one, he says, will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You cannot read the writings of Paul and come up with the idea that our heavenly treasure is meritorious. Do you understand? Toward our salvation. We are saved by faith alone, and there's no question about that. But God rewards us according to our works, and it's important that you know that also. And the... Uh, Famous faith chapter, Paul states, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and what else? That he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This to me is interesting. Now, the, in the last part of the, the uh, or the middle part of Hebrews 11, uh, the author says, These all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Very interesting. And then he made this awesome statement. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Spending your life and your money on yourself on this earth is stupid. Do you understand? It's like trading a ballpoint pen for a Mercedes. You know, understand? It's just incredible. So what I'm telling you is life principles that are very, very valuable to you. I will just tell you also, when you look back on your life, there have rarely been any person, a businessman, for example, that says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. What do they actually say? I wish I'd spent more time with my family, with my kids. I wish we'd taken vacations together and had all those memories when the kids were growing up and so on. And I've never had anybody tell me, an old person, I'm sorry I spent money on missions or to help people through school or anything like that. It's, you're not going to say it. I mean, it's just the way you feel is, is so much better. So, Jesus says to John the Revelator, Behold, I am coming quickly. By the way, this is the last chapter in the Scriptures. And my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Now, this to me is really amazing stuff. Blessed are you, he says, Jesus says, when they shall revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this is so interesting, what I'm going to show you in the next few minutes, that we almost didn't put it in the book, but we ended up making it a whole chapter. Because there is an encouragement to be faithful for the reward. And this is interesting. How will you choose? Ellen White also notes that each of us must make a similar decision as the rich young ruler and Moses did. And other Bible characters. Will we choose the things of earth and forsake our eternal reward? Or will we choose eternal life? That's the question. In spite of the hardships, Paul remained hopeful and committed. And uh, he wrote, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's thinking about that. For a light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us uh, a far more exceeding internal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. 
I mean, you think you have a fine house. Uh, we're actually in Washington, D.C. doing something that took like 30 years to pass all of the environmental regulations and so on, but they're putting another beltway around Washington, D.C. on the area where we live, and it, it's, it's really incredible. Uh, but you know that a four-lane or six-lane interstate like that takes almost a quarter of a mile wide, and if you have a house in there, too bad. Do you understand? Adverse possession, eminent domain, those kind of things. Exactly. It is gone. You think you own something. And, you know, there are just certain laws that, you know, it's, it can be taken from you. But that's why we're talking about our security in heaven. And I'll mention some of these uh, so, so you'll see them. In his last letter written from prison just before his execution, Paul speaks confidently of his hope in God's promises to be fulfilled at the second coming. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. You could write a book on that, couldn't you? I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Pretty awesome. And then, Kathy and I just read this yesterday. I have fought the good fight, have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. This is the focus. So I'm going to talk to you now about our account in heaven. There is a ledger in heaven where God keeps record of our account. The parable of the talents actually gives insight to this fact. Here it is. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country. Now this is just a parable, but who's the one traveling into the far country? It's God, right? Jesus. He called his own servants and delivered them his own goods, or them his goods. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled what? Accounts with them. This is Matthew 25, 14 and 19 also gives that. First he's going, then he's coming back to settle accounts with them. Many of the people of God are stupefied by the spirit of the world. They cultivate a love for money, for houses and lands, until it absorbs the powers of the mind and being and shuts out the love for the Creator and for the souls for whom Christ died. They forget. Listen carefully. Well, I'm going to go back so I, I don't lose that. Think about this. It... The spirit of the world shuts out the love for the creator and souls for whom Christ died. But these people forget that he also said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, that in so doing they're working for their own interests. To me, that's very interesting. Uh, I've already told you this, uh, but I'll mention it because some of you may not have been here. But it, see where it says, lay up for yourselves right here? These words in Councils on Stewardship, page 209, are in italics in the spirit of prophecy. Now, there was somebody in, in the break that asked me about the book I wrote called Even at the Door. And when I submitted that book to the review for printing, I had, you know, underlining and bold and italics all throughout it. And they said, you know, this isn't house policy. We don't have all this stuff in there. And we just want plain text. And I, I appealed to them, and finally they did it. And so I've had now five books printed with underlining and bold and italics in it. But you won't find that in the spirit of prophecy. No underlining, no bold only occasional italics. And this is one of those places where Ellen White puts those two words right there. By the way, this is the first time I've ever shown this in public. My secretary just finished it. So when, I, when you actually see it next time, it's going to be in italics. But anyway, it's there for yourselves. In other words, it's not for somebody else. It's not for God because he doesn't need the money, right? It is for yourself, for your account. And when you do that, you're working for your own interests. 
That's important. That which you bestow to the cause, in the cause of God is not lost. Your talents of gold and silver, if given to the exchanger, are gaining continually in value, which will be registered to your account in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, these are very pointed statements. And this is from Council on Stewardship, again, page 209. So, how does our treasure increase, in he- our treasure in heaven increase? Every soul saved is a talent gained. If truly converted, the one brought to a knowledge of the truth will, in his turn, use the talents of influence and means which God has given him in working for the salvation of his fellow men. Thus, the talents of influence and means, or money, are continually exchanging and constantly increasing. To me, it's amazing. The master whose reward is with him to give every man according to his work shall be, will return to that faithful servant. Listen carefully, both principle and interest. Now, I don't think Lori put this in, but when I have it in the, in the book here in the last chapter, this is really, really amazing. Nothing that we keep on this earth ever becomes ours because we're managing God's money. But when we give it to help others and advance the cause of God, when God returns it to us, then it becomes ours for the first time. Pretty amazing. You can, I, there, she, she may have put it in here, but I, I didn't see it when I reviewed it this morning. So we're going to go on now. The safety and the growth of treasures in heaven. The story of the rich young ruler, as I've told you, is in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. In each passage, Jesus encouraged the young man to sell his possession to help the poor. In so doing, he'd have treasure stored in heaven. Now, it's interesting. It is not selfish to desire the rewards of heaven if we have the right motivation. Do you understand that? I mean, this is pretty basic that I'm telling you right now. The right motivation is important. Now look at this interesting statement in Adventist Home, page 541. The fear of making the future inheritance seem too material has led many to spiritualize away the very truths which lead us to look upon it as our home. In other words, let me just tell you something interesting. I hear people say sometimes, well, I don't care about my mansion. I just want to see Jesus. Have you ever heard that? I want to see him too. But if you're not happy with your mansion that he's spent all this time making for you, how good is that going to make him feel? Do you understand? He's made it for you. Isn't it true? Now, this is, she goes on to say, there are homes for the pilgrims of earth in heaven. There are robes for the righteous. Isn't that incredible? Uh, the place we're staying over there has these... Uh, uh, bathrobes or shower robes or something in the closet. And, and you know, I guess you can use them while you're there, but if you take it, it costs you $24 or whatever. When you get to your mansion, it's going to have the closet stocked. Is that incredible or not? I think it's pretty awesome. And then with crowns of glory and palms of victory, all that has perplexed us in the providences of God in, 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 will in the world to come be made plain. It'd be pretty awesome. And she goes on to say, we are homeward bound. He who loved us so much as to die for us hath built us for us a city. The New Jerusalem is our place of rest. There will be no sadness in the city of God. No wail of sorrow, no dirge of crushed hopes and buried affections will ever more be heard. So there's awesome, lots of things. Let not your heart be troubled. This is John 14, 1 and 2. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now you can read that any way you want to, but it's a better house than you live in now. I can just tell you that, okay? Especially my blue vinyl siding house. (laughs) Okay. 
If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I really like that promise. Jesus said it. I should have Lori put that in red. And, and, and I receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Okay, listen to this one. Uh, there's so much stuff on the internet, I don't know where Lori gets all these pictures, but this is an actual picture of Wall Street, as you know. They have that big flag across the New York Stock Exchange. So uh, we have from the book here, earthly investments involve risk, which is Matthew 6:19. Do not store up treasures on this earth. Why not? Because it's not safe here. It's not because it's wrong, it's because it's stupid. You know, moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. And the thief could be somebody like Madoff. You understand? We not have a, you know, a mask on with just his eyes showing. He might be a Wall Street guy. Incredible. A promise of high interest rate comes with high risk. Also, investing that uh, investments that are touted to beat the market are at greater risk of loss. Those are things important. But those who really feel an interest in the cause of God and are willing to venture something for its advancement will find it a sure and safe investment. But all will not receive their hundredfold in this life because they cannot bear it. Remember I showed you that in the last session? The Lord withholds it for their good, but their treasure in heaven will be secure. Everything that is laid up on earth may be swept away in a moment, but nothing can disturb the treasure that is laid up in heaven. Here's an interesting one. I think I showed you this yesterday, but it's so interesting that I wanted to put it back in here. To a man who had made a great deal of money in earthly investments and also lost a great deal of money, Ellen White wrote to him, the enterprise of securing eternal life did not awaken your interests. Here you could have expended means and run no risk, met no disappointments, and in the end would have received immense profits. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If it wasn't where it is in the spirit of prophecy, that would sound like a get-rich-quick scheme. It has all the elements. Doesn't it really? Yeah. No, no risk, make big profits. Isn't that incredible? But there it is. Testimonies, volume 2, page 280. Put your money in the bank of heaven, thus invested it will yield an infinitely higher rate of interest than if placed in the banks of this world. I didn't even know these existed a year ago. I mean, this is incredible that these things are available to us, really. What a reward. Well, when you check out the Spirit of Prophecy for the reward, there's always an adjective or adverb in front of it. Uh, I guess, uh, anyway, my reward, immortal reward, rich reward, glorious reward, great reward, heavenly reward, overcomer's reward, final reward. Those are incredible. I'm going to tell you something interesting. Whenever a case is decided in a court in the world today, let's just say in America, if you think it was decided wrongly, and it may have been, but that was not the final reward. Do you understand? 100%. It's important. Do you understand that? Because a lot of crooks get off with stuff, but they have to face God in the judgment as well. And that's the important thing to understand. Okay. Another statement, I was shown that the recording angel makes a faithful record of every offering dedicated to God and put into the treasury and also the final result of the means thus bestowed. What happens to everything? Really interesting. So every opportunity to help a brother in need or aid the cause of God in the spread of the truth is a pearl that you can send beforehand and deposit in the bank of heaven for safekeeping. Every such opportunity improved adds to your heavenly treasure. Now remember what we've already looked at in 1 Timothy the 6th chapter. 
This is pretty interesting stuff. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and it is certain that we can take nothing out with us. Isn't that true? So here's the statement that you should have in your head over and over again. It's true you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And that is amazing. Really, really interesting when you think about it. Okay. The Lord has a great work to be done, and he will bequeath the most in the future life to those who do the most faithful, willing service in the present life. This, uh, I didn't, you know, these aren't my words. That's why I'm making so many statements from the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy. Uh, reward is not to be confused with merit. Uh, Gospel work is page 450, and I think you should read the whole page to get it in its context. We shall none of us be saved for our own merits. Period. Each receives an exact portion to his work, though, to the improvement he has made on the talents lent him of God, and it is the privilege of each of us to strive for the highest recompense. Now, that's interesting. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose that you were alive during the Civil War. Most of you who have ever visited back east know that the Civil War battles, you're up and down the south and clear up into Virginia and so on. You can go to places like uh, Antietam and Manassas and see where blood ran in the streets. I mean, it's an incredible place. And I've hardly ever been to uh, uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, without tears coming to my eyes. I mean, it's incredible. Do you understand that something like 36,000 Americans died in one day, all killed by fellow Americans? And that's why when you go to the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., in a great big bronze plaque that's like nine feet square is the Gettysburg Address. Incredible when you understand what happened there. And to me, it's, it's really, really amazing when you think about it. And what I'm telling you about this for is that you are not going to be taken to heaven because of any great thing you did but you are rewarded for what you have done for God, even if you lose your life for his sake. That's important to know. Uh, We're going to go on here. The good stewards of the gospel. So many of you, this was a a book I read when I was a young person. Many of you have read stories of David Livingston, Scottish missionary to Africa. But he made this interesting statement. I will place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in its relation to the kingdom of God. Or Christ. If anything I have will advance the interest of that kingdom, it shall be given up or kept, as by keeping or giving it I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes, both of time and eternity. Most of you have known of the guy named Letourneau who built the big earth-moving equipment in early American history and uh, became a multimillionaire, and that was when millions were really millions. The reason I said that is because I subscribe to Forbes magazine, and this year's Forbes 400, the richest people in America, not one of them was a millionaire. They're all billionaires. Isn't that incredible? I mean, things seem to be changing. But anyway, Letourneau said, it is my goal not to see how much of my money I have to give to God, but how much of God's money I have to keep for my living expenses. Isn't that interesting? A whole different view of things. A steward identifies himself with the master. He accepts the responsibilities of a steward. He must act in his master's stead. I'm going to have to go back here. I moved my mouse and it changed on me here. Doing as his master would do were he presiding. His master's interests become his. The position of the steward is one of dignity because his master trusts him. He entrusts us with things. 
So how do we become stewards of the gospel? We're stewards of everything in our lives. I know that I've talked with a number of you who are trained as medical doctors and so on, and I will just tell you, healthful living is simply stewardship of the body, body temple, isn't it? We know what's good for us, and if we practice it, we're good stewards of the body temple that God has given us. And everything that we do in life, we're really stewards of our time and our talents, our body temple, our treasures, and so on. So that's what we really talk here. Uh, we are a community of believers with Christ as our Lord and Master, and God as our Father, and the Holy Spirit as our guide. These are some basic principles from what we've learned throughout in the seminars here. Uh, I started to tell you the story of the Civil War, so I got distracted in my mind. I want to finish that up. So none of you are left hanging on me either. Presume that you were living during the Civil War. Do you know that uh, uh, the, the South had the Confederacy, had its own money during the Confederacy? And there was the U.S. currency at the same time also? Presume you were living in the South and you knew for sure somehow you had a little insight that the North was eventually going to win the war. And it was not long before the war would, you know, the, the, the battles would change and the, the North would win. If you had a lot of Confederate money, what would you try to do with it at that time? Try to exchange it, if possible, for the Union money, the, you know, the, the U.S. currency. Now, would you give it all away? Would you exchange every bit of it? If you're living in the South, no. You would keep just enough to survive. Do you understand? Do I have to make the application? You understand. We're planning to go where our dollars are worthless and where gold is used to pave streets. You understand? So your idea would be to transfer it into heavenly currency. And that's what you do when you store up treasures in heaven. Believe me, God is not going to give you U.S. dollars. It's just not going to happen. You know, there's nothing to back it up. So the, the whole idea is pretty interesting to me. We, we are accountable. And we have to understand that our task is worldwide, embracing all people everywhere. We're accountable to God for all of our time, talent, possession, service, and even for our very lives. It is the motive that determines the moral quality of our living and our giving. So we're going to look at this idea of the reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. He says, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, this is Matthew 25, 21. And I think a very interesting one also. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So in heaven, we will walk and talk with Jesus face to face. It's not possible to make these as actual pictures. I mean, these are just artists' conceptions, as you understand. But we're told that in heaven, the flowers never fade. I, I, I can't really ex describe this. In heaven, there is perfect harmony. Kathy and I had the opportunity of having a speaking appointment in uh, South Africa last year. And uh, some very unusual things developed there. One is that we knew we were going through Johannesburg, South Africa. And at that time, according to the State Department, Johannesburg was the most dangerous airport in the world. And so we actually rewrote our wheels before going. It was that serious. And there were people at the general conference, one of the vice presidents of the general conference at gunpoint was thrown down on the street outside the airport and all of his luggage taken away and his laptop computer and his, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, 
when we were in Johannesburg Airport, we were in the domestic side, but I wanted to walk over to see if we could get an earlier flight back to America in the international side, so I went outside, and there was a big sign across. This is in front of an international airport in Johannesburg, South Africa, that said, enter at your own risk. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Well, to make a long story short, and the reason I'm telling you this is because if you're near Johannesburg, you're also near Kruger National Park. And Kathy and I took a day of our vacation time, and we went with some friends up to Kruger National Park. Now, you can see lions there, but there are signs everywhere, do not get out of your car. Do you understand? If you've ever been there, I mean, you just don't get a second chance. You think they're sleepy and they're tired, man, you get out away from your car, you're dead. In fact, there are signs that say, as they would say in the British South African lingo, alight from your car at your own risk. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just incredible. How many of you have seen this thing on YouTube where they, it's the, uh, uh, some kind of the battle at Kruger where the, where the big uh, uh, bulls, what are they, uh, the water buffalo, uh, rescue one of their calves that a lion's got? I mean, every, just about everything there will kill you. I mean, it's just incredible. You just have to be very careful. So if you can imagine being in a place where you could have a lion and a lamb together, this must have been done by computer. I'm not sure exactly how it happened. But the whole point is, the Bible says in heaven, the animals will be gentle again. I think this is really, really awesome. In heaven, there is endless beauty. I don't know how this shows up without a white screen, but it's still pretty, isn't it? It just is incredible, really. What, and, and this is what we have on earth. And you can imagine what God is planning for us there. When we all get to heaven, Lori put this in because she's a singer. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Now, I'm going to show you something, and, and I hope that I can get this through in the few minutes that we have left. But if you want a nutshell picture of stewardship, this is it right here. So I'm going to show you the foundation is what your family needs to manage. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and this is like what an estate planning model, but it would also be very good for planning your, your retirement. And that is, when you get ready to retire, you have to understand how much will you need to function. You're out of debt, can you live on 4,000 a month? Once you have that, then you begin thinking of your family members or the family legacy, what, you, what your family's needs are. And I'm going to tell you this since we aren't talking about estate planning more than this one little slide. But here's something very interesting. In the Bible, there's talking about inheritance for children and so on. Look it up. I will guarantee it. Every time inheritance is in the Bible, it is giving land from one family to another family so that the succeeding generations can make their crops and have their flocks and herds and so on. You understand? They needed that. But today, most of us are not farmers. So how do we make sure that our kids continue to function in society? It's not by giving them a huge amount of money when we die. You understand? It's by giving them a proper education so they can take care of themselves. It's very simple. If you have helped your children through school, you have helped them to become independent adults. And that's the primary thing that they should receive from us. Do you understand? But some people have been uh, given the responsibility of taking care of afflicted children, for example, who will not be able to support themselves, or they're handicapped in some way, or they've had an accident. Or so you understand. If somebody is in your family line like that, obviously you would want to think of them. Now, I'm thinking about adults right now, adult children. You understand. 
obviously if you have done a will you would obviously have a trust to take care of your children to make sure and by the way if you die when you have children and you don't have a will guess what happens to your kids whatever the state wants to have happen to them they assign the guardian whether or not it's somebody you like it would do the best good for your kids typically a relative do you understand so if you have children you must have a will there's no question about that to assign a guardian for your minor children and of course when they reach the age of majority they don't need that anymore but obviously you need to do that now look at this what I'm going to tell you Kathy and I once we have done our our budget for retirement or our present life right now both of our kids have uh, they're professionally trained people. Andrew's an attorney. Melissa's an editor, of, associate editor of Liberty Magazine. And so they don't have needs. We gave them their inheritance by helping them through school. We actually gave them a cash inheritance upon graduation. So they could, you know, Andrew paid his way through law school with his. But the reason I'm telling you that is because this part here can become, this whole spiritual legacy can come all the way down to that line. Do you understand? Because our kids are adults, we've already done that part. And neither one of them are afflicted. You understand? We've done what we can to educate them. So we can think about giving away, helping others, and helping advance the cause of God. Now I'm going to tell you something interesting. And, and I'm only telling you this as an illustration. It is, it, I, I would tell it about you if I knew about you, but I only know about me. So I'll just tell you this. Kathy is actually the manager of our money. And she does it all the time. Every month, she manages our money. But once a year, usually about March, she says, you're the attorney. You do the taxes. Here's all the stuff. So that's the only thing that I actually do is do the taxes. But of course, I, I was going to say I cheat on that. I don't cheat. Uh, uh, what I do is I use TaxCut, a computer program. You know, H&R Block and Kiplinger's TaxCut. At any rate... Uh, when I'm typing in all this stuff, a couple years ago, I was typing, I came down to the contributions. You do long form. I mean, anybody who has a, you know, paying any interest and pays lots of contributions, you, you do long form. Anyway, so I'm doing this 1040 long form, and I'm putting in my contributions, and tax cut is programmed that if it's way out of whack, and some little beepers come on and little lights blink and so on, and it says, are you sure? You understand? This is my contributions. Well, the idea is I had to override the system to enter my actual contributions. And the whole deal is I was thrilled to be able to do it. Do you understand? Because if you're in a position like I am with your school loans paid off and your other debts and your kids are educated, shouldn't I be contributing more to advance the cause of God? Guess what I'm really doing? Storing up treasures in heaven. You get the idea? Okay, I just want you to see this for a minute. Money has great value because it can do great good, but money is of no more value than sand, only as it is put to use in three things. Providing for the necessities of life, in blessing others, and advancing the cause of Christ. Now, this is Christ's Object Lesson 351. Ellen White says this about 12 different ways in her writings, but it's always in this order. Uh, providing for your necessities for your own self. And then helping others, helping advance the cause of Christ. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Which one of those three things stores up treasures in heaven? The bottom two, right? Now listen carefully. If the devil is able to keep our family in debt for most of our life, and it takes everything we make to do number one here, how much am I storing up in heaven? Do you understand? Absolutely nothing. 
And there are many people that go through life in that. In fact, for most people, when you pay your car off, it's time to buy a new one. You understand? They just keep in debt their whole life. Okay. I'm going to tell you this story. And it's in uh, Luke, the 19th chapter. It's the story of Zacchaeus. To me, it's one of the more fun stories of the Bible. Because uh, the story of Zacchaeus in the 19th chapter is of a businessman who decides that if he keeps going the way he's going, it won't take him where he really wants to go. So he decided to start making things right with other people, and he wanted to see Jesus. He heard that <laughs> Jesus was coming to his town, which was the rebuilt Jericho. That's where he lived. And a real interesting thing, we know this about him, that he was the chief tax collector, he was very rich, he was a short man, and he wanted to see Jesus. Now, I'm going to stop at that and tell you this interesting thing. Early in Jesus' earthly ministry, he was traveling, walking along the road one day, and way off the road, like 50 feet or so, maybe farther, there's this guy that's a leper. Lepers would be stoned to death if they tried to approach people because, you know, you can't touch a leper. So he's way back there, and he says, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. And then he said something incredible. If you would just touch me, I would be healed. The disciples whispered to Jesus, don't touch that guy. If you touch him, word will get back to the Pharisees in your ministry's history. Would that be true? So Jesus said, excuse me. He walks over and he said, I will. And he reached out and touched him and the man was instantly healed. Isn't that awesome? One day, Jesus was told that a person was very sick and was just about to die. And he was making his way to that person's house when there was a lady in the crowd who had been sick for many years. The Bible, the King James calls it an issue of blood. And the interesting part about it, she had spent all of her money with doctors of the day. And she was no better, but her money was gone. And she said, if I could just touch his clothes, I would be healed. And she did, and she was. Amazing story. The leper wanted to be touched. The lady wanted to touch his clothes. What did Zacchaeus want? I just want to see him. That's all. Incredible. Now, I can say this in California because some of you have probably experienced this. But when Zacchaeus ran from his CPA office, dressed in his business suit, he was either a CPA or an attorney if he was the chief tax collector, correct? When he got to the street, there were so many people he could not get through to see Jesus. Remember, that's what he wanted to see, and he's a short guy. Now, to me, this is really amazing. So in order to see him, he had to run ahead, and he climbed a tree. I mean, he's a businessman up a tree with his suit on. He's not a little kid, you understand? Th to me, this is so amazing. I mean, this is just an artist's conception. But when you want to see Jesus, he wants to see you too. And the most amazing part of this story to me is incredible. That Jesus looked up in the tree and saw him. And instead of saying, what in the world is this crazy guy doing up a tree? He said, Zacchaeus. He called him by name, though they had never met. He knows your name, too. Isn't that incredible? It's awesome to me. Come down. And then Jesus did something that none of us would ever do. 
Kathy is one of the best cooks in the world. She's a part of that generation that can still make stuff, you know, out of little parts and makes, not just hook, heat it up in the microwave, you understand. <laughs> and she actually likes to entertain, but she does not like surprises. I don't just come home and say, guess what, I'm bringing five guys for dinner. I call her ahead and say, wouldn't it be okay next week sometime if we had somebody come to our house? You know, she enjoys it. Now, the interesting part about this is when Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, his wife may have been like Kathy or maybe like some of you ladies that don't like surprises, even if you like to entertain. But anyway, I think his whole life passed before him. Oh, no, what will my wife think? Because he wasn't just getting Jesus. When you get Jesus, you have 12 hungry disciples, guys who don't have regular meals. Thirteen men are coming to meal, to dinner. You understand? My idea is that Zacchaeus probably thought, well, I know this good Mexican restaurant that takes visa. Why don't we go there and we'll get our own little room and we can visit and so on. But he took him to his house, the Bible says. And one of the most awesome things happened after that. You're going to see it here. Really, really interesting. Uh, I'll show it to you right here. Zacchaeus said at the end of that, Half of what I have, I'm going to give to the poor, and I'm going to refor, restore four times what I've taken from people. One encounter with Jesus changed his whole attitude toward money. He was the opposite of the rich young ruler. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Isn't that incredible? It was over money. And that's why Matthew 6.24 says, you cannot serve God and money. Now, the interesting part about this, it doesn't say it's difficult, like is this difficult for a rich man to enter heaven? It says it's not possible. You cannot serve God and money. Well, we're going to look at a couple of other points here. I'm going to show you this and see if you think this is true. It's all from the same page, 4th Testimonies 474. I have three things to show you. The majority of professed Christians part with their money or means with great reluctance. Do you think that's true? Yes. Many of them do not give one-twentieth of their income to God, and many give far less than that. While there's a large class who rob God of the little tithe, and others who will give only the tithe. Is that an adequate description of what's happening in many churches today? Yes. Uh, this is really interesting. That's the problem. But here's the possibilities. If all of the tithes of our people flowed into the treasure of the Lord as they should, such blessings would be received that gifts and offerings for sacred purposes would be multiplied tenfold, and thus the channel between God and man would be kept open. Now, I'm going to tell you something interesting. I'm sorry this is being recorded, but I will just tell you that because of the potential problems in the economy, we're having to be very, very careful with how we manage money at the General Conference of the North American Division. You understand? But if all of God's people, instead of 40%, were tithing, we would not have a problem. Amen. Not only because of the faithfulness of the people, but in addition to that, I want you to see this. You missed this when I read it to you. If all of us would be faithful, God would bless us with blessings that our gifts and offerings for sacred purposes could be multiplied ten times. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Some of you are math people or you are accountants or whatever. If it's ten times, what percent increase is that? It's one thousand percent. 
Now, as the stewardship director of North American Division, I'm thrilled when we have like a 3% tithe gain. In uh, 2005, we had a, a 9% tithe gain. I mean, just to have a gain over the year before and so on. But wouldn't it be awesome to have a 1,000%? That's for offerings, not for everything we do would be increased. God would bless us so much if we would just all be faithful. That's to me really, really incredible. This is all on the same page. Fourth Testimonies 474. The followers of Christ should not wait for thrilling missionary appeals to arouse them to action. If spiritually awake, they would hear in the income of every week, whether much or little, the voice of God and the conscience of conscience with authority demanding the tithes and the offerings do the Lord. So I'm going to show you something interesting. You see this idea of spiritually awake right here? I was at a It Is Written partnership one time. Kathy and I were It Is Written partners. We love to be involved with It Is Written because we think they do a great work. At any rate, uh, it was back when Mark Finley was the speaker. It was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And uh, we were there at one of the tables. And in Sabbath school, Mark Finley was in interviewing a man uh, who had been a Methodist pastor but had been studying Adventism. And uh, he actually, uh, maybe I have time. I'll just take two minutes to tell you the story because it's so interesting. Eli Maldonado was his name. He was from New Jersey. And uh, he had studied the Bible course, the Discover Bible course, and said, you know, everything I'm learning here seems like it's true to me. You know, this is incredible. So he decided that he would send a letter to It Is Written and ask for a pastor to stop and see him. Now, this is Eli telling his own story. He's there with Mark Finley. And Eli said, when I wrote out that letter and went to the corner and pulled out the thing to drop the mail in, he said, uh-oh. He said, I knew when that hit the bottom that my life would never be the same again. He said, I tried to get it out, but, you know, you can't get it out, and it's down in there. So he said, oh, not to worry. These people are so busy. If the kid writes in and it's big printing or whatever, they just send them the kid's answer. And, you know, if an adult writes in, they get the adult's answer. If a hockey mom sends them in, they get the hockey mom letter. And, you know, and uh, if a pastor writes in, he gets the pastor's letter. And so he had, you know, almost forgotten about it. But three days later, he got a personal phone call from Mark Finley. And Mark said, uh, we received your letter. And it says, it just happens. I'm going to be down in Florida speaking to all of the workers for the Southern Union. But I have every morning off for three days. And I've bought you a ticket. And I want you to meet me down there. And we'll talk about these things. So he spent, you know, three days going through the Adventist message. And uh, when Eli said this uh, real interesting thing, he said, when I learned about prophecy, I was so excited. And my big question for you guys, here's a group of Adventist business people out there, see, why aren't you guys all excited? Isn't that amazing? Why isn't everybody all excited? And then he said, and, the, and another question I have, he said, how could a Sunday law ever happen in America when we're the champions of civil and religious liberty for the whole world? Well, when he said that, uh, th they were done. Anyway, he, Mark brought Eli down to the table that Kath and I were sitting at, and he says, Eli, I want you to meet Ed Reed. He can answer those two questions for you. So <laughs> I said, well, the first one is pretty simple. Because, you know, why is everybody, you know, not excited? Do you know that it's actually a sign of the end for the church to be asleep? Is it not? Matthew? 25, the parable of the virgins, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Incredible. And then I gave him a copy of my book, Sunday's Coming, and he took it home. And he called me about two weeks later and said, this is incredible. I didn't know all the stuff you guys know. I thought I knew everything, but this is amazing. So what I'm going to tell you is, 
It's time to wake up. Only the spiritually asleep people are spending all their money on themselves. It's time to help finish God's work. It's really, really incredible. When you think about what the, what the situation is. Now, we're going to close with this because when I was in college, I helped to work my way through school by selling Bible story volumes. And in volume 7, I believe, is where the uh, account of Jesus' resurrection, this Russ Harlan picture, is one of my favorite pictures of the ascension of Jesus. And to me, it's really, really incredible. But I want you to see something here to, that's very, very amazing. You understand something happened, that Jesus met with the disciples several different times after the resurrection. But he said, go to a certain place and I will meet you there. And Cana of Galilee. Now the amazing thing was, he was not walking with anyone. And about 400 people gathered there. But where is Jesus? Suddenly he materialized in their midst. He's standing there. This is incredible now. And after the resurrection, after this final meeting, is when he gave these words, all authority has been given to me. Remember how we started the first session? God is the creator of heaven and earth. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. That's our challenge. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He was standing but a step from his heavenly home, we are told. He was now the risen Savior. The words were the announcement that his sacrifice in behalf of man was full and complete. <coughs> the conditions of the atonement had been fulfilled. The work for which he came to this world had been accomplished. He had won the kingdom. He had wrested it from Satan and had become the heir of all things. To me, this is really, really awesome. The creator of heaven and earth had demonstrated the power of love and now clothed with boundless authority, he gives the command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's why I read to you Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14. These are the commands of God. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he levitated out of their sight. Incredible. And it was in that setting that two other people materialized, dressed in white, and said, the same Jesus that you just saw go is coming back. This same Jesus. To me, that is really, really incredible. I'm going to skip this one and just show you a little commitment that I've made. I believe that our goal as committed Christians is to take what God has given us in talents, time, talents, body, temple, and our treasure, and trade with it until he comes with the perspective of bringing profit to God's kingdom. Amen. That's the whole point, really. Some of you have asked about our stewardship website, and so this is the next to the last slide. I'll show it to you. Maybe you can't see it at the bottom there, but it's adventiststewardship.org, and this is the homepage, what you'll see there. If you have, uh, like, stewardship resources, I've got about 24 uh, PowerPoint programs you can download and show in your church there. And uh, in the tithe area, we have those documents about, you know, Ellen White's counsel about what to do with tithe if you think problems are happening in the church and all of that. So you'll find, just go there and play around a little bit, browse around, and you can find it to be helpful. But I want you to see this. This same Jesus will so come. And when he does, to some people he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But to those of us who are faithfully with our finances, he will say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear those words? I surely do. Well, thank you so much for coming. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And share the good news with people everywhere you go. We'll have a prayer together, shall we? Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your blessings to each of us. And we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the good counsel in your word. I pray that you'll bless us all. May we respond positively like Zacchaeus did, like Moses did, and others in scripture. So that we can be the recipients of the great reward that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.